Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for April 13th, 2016. Today's topic is leadership people skills and how to communicate better with difficult people. It's always tough and a challenge. So, of course, if you're listening live, we'd like to invite you to be part of the show and ask some questions. And the, the real way to do it is to email me. You can do that at brian at benchmarkportal.com. That's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Of course, I want to remind you that we have all of our shows archived and available to listen to anytime that's convenient for you. And that's on our webpage at benchmarkportal.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and see our call talk area and just browse through over two to three years of show topics. So speaking of show, let's get underway. And it's my pleasure to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. And I have a colleague on with us today, Amy Novak, who's also the content manager for Call Talk. So she'll be interviewing with me today. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Hi, Bruce. I'm doing well. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about today's topic and am eager to meet and speak to the guest. Okay, very good. Well, you know, one of the things that came out of our landmark study that we did a couple years ago called Agent Voices, uh, which involved over 5,000 respondents and uh, showed that really the quality of leadership is extremely important inside of contact centers. Um, one of the things that came out of that is that the ability to deal with difficult people, the ability to lead even on, in difficult situations uh, is extremely important because actually those are the key moments that will uh, sort of make or break a, a manager and make or break relationships. Uh, there's that old adage that leadership means never having an off day, or never having an off moment, and that's, that's a huge uh, you know, standard to, to try to live up to. Not, a, not a, None of us can, but we have to do our best. And actually, if we have the right techniques and the right approaches, then we can, uh, we can learn how to handle those kinds of situations. And so um, we have an expert on the topic for you here, Sheena Monin, and I'd like to welcome Sheena to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Bruce. I'm happy to be here, and I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the topics that you've already mentioned, and some of the ways that we can tap into our own personal strengths and become that ideal leader that we've always wanted to be. So it's going to be a really great show today, I think. Absolutely. No, thank you very much for being on. Uh, Sheena has her master's degree in psychology and has been double certified to teach the Enneagram, which is a powerful tool that customizes leadership to fit each person's existing strengths. And Sheena's company, Custom Life Design, specializes in conflict resolution and leadership development in both large corporations and small businesses. And for the last seven years, Sheena has developed an approach that focuses on getting companies the results they want quickly and with precision. So uh, we're really happy to have you on, Sheena, and uh, let's get right into the questioning. Uh, okay. You know, if we look at business psychology books, and there's a lot of them out there, uh, there's a ton that's been written and said about this topic, and you have uh, a unique take on all of this. And, uh, you know, I'd like to hear about, you know, how you did the focus that you did. So tell us about your approach to leadership, and of all the forms of psychology available, why did you choose one for focus? Yeah, it's it's interesting when we look at psychology and we see the rise in popularity of organizations and companies actually inviting 
psychological processes into their organization. It's really exciting to see. But you basically, when I was studying psychology, I was mesmerized with human behavior and how as humans we can actually sort of predict how we're going to act and react in certain situations. And that falls under the umbrella of cognitive psychology, which focuses more on how very powerful the human brain is. I mean, think about how many tasks you do each and every day, and it's based on your mind and what your mind is telling you is a good decision versus a bad decision. You know, if you go right or if you go left, it's all based on how your brain is processing the information. And that really struck a chord with me. And I started looking at my life and looking at the lives of people that I knew. I started realizing just how powerful the brain is. Of course, there's other forms of psychology. There's behavioral. There's all of these different theories out there. But the one that I felt was the most powerful was cognitive psychology, because I think that our mind is really attuned to things that we often are not even aware of. We go through the motions, we make choices, and we don't often stop to think about why we're doing it. And when we stop and we develop more of that self-awareness, then we can take control in our lives even more powerfully, and we can start to sort of fine-tune the direction of where we're going. And most people kind of go through the motions, and we don't stop to say, wait a minute, why am I doing this? You know, why do I look at people in this way? Or why am I making priorities in a different manner than someone else? And when we stop and we look at this, it's really fascinating to understand what's driving us. And I think most of that can be boiled down into cognitive psychology, and we can start to see these patterns that we've developed. And most importantly, we can ask ourselves, do we like this pattern or do we not like it? Because if we don't like it, then we have a tool called the Enneagram, which falls underneath cognitive psychology. And we can use the tool to sort of figure out, well, if I don't like how I'm acting or reacting, what can I do specifically to change it and to make it better so that my work environment is smoother, less stress is involved, and I can get that next promotion that I want, or I can reach that sales goal in a more professional and easier manner. There's, there's a lot of content that is, is very helpful for leaders who want to become better, but sometimes we lack the tools that we need or we lack the, the map to sort of help us to get to that next level. And I found the Enneagram to be extremely, sometimes uncannily accurate in letting people know who they are on a deeper level. And that's really what psychology is all about, you know, is, is finding out who we are, why we act the way we do, and then deciding if we like it or not. And if we don't, then we can have a tool to make the changes that will help us in our life. And that's really what I do is I help people to reach the next level for them. Sheena, my mind is going in so many different directions now that you've given us more insight on the actual type of psychology that you are performing and that you have made the decision to go ahead and apply within these organizations and the first things that you know are you know coming to the top of the surface here of my mind are you know psychological processes you're bringing up processing information mm-hmm. going through emotions dear heavens they should have put this as a class before anybody decides to get married I mean, is this something that I can use for my husband now to see 
you know, look at things in different ways. (laughs) Yeah. Should we ask him? Should we ask him? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's going to love that. I'm sure he missed online. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, I I find it entertaining because you hear of how many different, you know, personally, let alone professionally, Mm -hmm. in in all seriousness, it, it sounds very complicated and maybe even a bit overwhelming, you know, not mm-hmm. only on a personal level, but also a professional level. But then in the next token, I also find it fascinating because mm-hmm. how can this really be applied within the business arena, the business atmosphere? And if I'm not yeah. using this personally, where should I start, you know, within my professional? Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a lot of depth to the Enneagram and to cognitive psychology, but I don't dive into that when I'm working with people. Because basically when you think about the business environment, it's very rare that every single person you're working with is going to think the way that you think. More often than not, people are approaching problems from vastly different perspectives. And at the root of human nature, psychologically in our minds, we believe that we are correct. And we believe that our perspective is the best perspective. That's just part of human nature. But think about it this mm-hmm. way. If you were a CEO of a company and you had, let's just say, six managers, for example, and two of those managers, you know, they are right in line with you. They are trucking along and you, you work well with them. They make decisions that you can respect because those decisions are similar to what you would do. And that's an ideal environment. Yes, you have people who think the way that you do. It's easy. But then you have the other managers, the other four, and maybe they're not thinking the way that you think. And maybe when mm-hmm. they make decisions, you think to yourself, what planet are you from? Like, why are you making this choice? You're wasting company time. You're wasting money. But to those managers, their choices are logical in their brains. And what the Enneagram does is it breaks down nine different leadership styles. So as the CEO of a company, if I have these managers, I can look at the four who don't think the way that I do, and I can actually begin to understand, oh, this person is a true perfectionist, whereas I'm not. I just want to reach the end goal. I want to make more money for my company, so I'm going to move very quickly through decision-making processes. But this manager, who I thought was a procrastinator, actually is not procrastinating. They are just so into the minutia of the details that in order for them to feel secure before Mm -hmm. they bring a decision to me, they have to go through all of these little processes that to me don't mean anything. And there's, there's all of these different perspectives that we're bringing to the workplace. And unfortunately, what I found is conflict happens when I cannot understand why someone is making choices the way that they are. But when I can look at them through the lens of the Enneagram and I can get into their mind and I can say, oh, they actually really do care about the big picture, they're just taking a lot longer because they need to feel secure or they need to gather all of their facts or they Mm -hmm. need to not break a connection with someone over here so they always are asking for advice and slowing down the process. And, And really the Enneagram is powerful in that way because you can look at the nine different leadership styles and in one or Mm -hmm. two words, you can sum up what the motivating factor is for each of the nine styles. And then your lens, the way you look at the managers who are difficult 
starts to change and you realize, well, actually, maybe they're not being difficult. Maybe they're just being true to who they are, and I need to change my approach slightly in order to speed things along and get the results that I want. And, and all of us are motivated a little bit differently. Some of us are motivated by success. Some of us are motivated by being correct or being strong or being connected or all of these things or being independent. And when we can start to see humans beyond their annoying behaviors, I found that the work environment improved very quickly and companies are happy because finally money isn't being wasted, time isn't being wasted, and and teams are Mm -hmm. starting to operate cohesively rather than fighting against each other or, or playing games or things like that. Because remember, at the end of the day, human nature does dictate. I do believe that my way is correct and other people's way isn't quite as good as mine. So when you can sort of take the ego out of it and and help people to see others from kind of a more enlightened perspective, I found that stress really is reduced, and and it's a beautiful thing to witness, it's a beautiful thing to be part of, and I really like empowering people to tap into their personal strengths rather than sometimes copying others or feeling like their voice doesn't matter because who they're working for, their manager, just doesn't see things the way they do, so they feel they have to squash their own ideas in order to please those over them. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that can, that can be quite negative. If I could just add in here and, and sort of bring it home to our listeners who are mainly call center managers and supervisors and directors, that mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is an environment in which there's a lot of face-to-face interaction. And the leadership yeah. is very personal. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that, that I'm taking away from your, what, all the things that you're saying, which uh, you know I agree with, uh, Amy, this stuff could be used for family counseling, uh, business counseling, probably also congressional co- uh, counseling. <laughs> but, <laughs> nowadays, uh, yes. <laughs> nowadays. But, you know, uh, because of this, this fact is that, you know, we all need to sort of stop. We need stop signs mm-hmm. and go signs. And, um, you know, there's the old thing that we teach our kids is stop, look, and listen before you, you cross the street. But here it's mm-hmm. sort of like stop, think, understand, and then formulate. So it's like yeah. rather than do what comes naturally as a human being or as a manager mm-hmm. in uh, the call center, take a deep breath. Uh, what is the other person's perspective? What is their uh, way of uh, reacting and acting? What is their way of processing um, and it's not always easy to uh, slow yourself down, uh, particularly if mm-hmm. you're a high-energy type of person, which many managers are. But if yeah. you do that, then you'll be more effective. At the end of the day, you'll actually get more done than uh, if you try to go at high speed. And one of the things that I, I think you know comes out of what you're saying, and and which matches with my experience, is that. Uh, is that you ask questions. In other words, the best way to get into that other person's mind and that other person's shoes is to ask them about where they are. You ask them a lot mm-hmm. of questions. So sort of management by uh, questioning around or walking around and asking questions. Um, mm-hmm. Did you see that as, as something that for our listening audience could be a takeaway from this, that they – Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, it, a lot of it is, too, what I found is sometimes the more type A, the aggressive go-getters, they don't always understand how they're coming across to people who maybe aren't quite as upfront 
So if you are going to ask a question, make sure your intention is really to understand, not to to say, are you sure you feel that way? Or, or some, you know, make sure your tone is as appropriate as well, because when you are a manager, you're in a powerful position to influence those around you and those who are reporting to you. And if you stop and, like what you just said, develop a bit more self-awareness, you can really get into other people's minds and motivate them to produce higher quality work and to get more done. That's what I see across the board is when you understand the basic tenets of psychology, productivity goes through the roof and people Mm -hmm. feel validated. And when I feel validated, like if I'm working for someone and they are approaching me in a way that is not threatening to me or demeaning or however my lens is telling me that they're coming at me, then I want to produce more. I want to perform higher and meet bigger goals because I feel I've been seen and I feel like my method has been validated. Even if it's different from the manager, my method has value and therefore human nature sort of dictates that when I feel that way, I'm going to push harder and I'm going to move faster because I want more of that validation. We're more motivated by praise as humans than we are by negative consequences. Research has been done across the board, and it's true. So as a manager, if I'm using these principles to understand and connect with my people better, then ultimately they're going to be pushing the limit as far as what they're producing, and it's always very, very beneficial for the company. Absolutely. And just for my own sake, to interject again, uh, in addition to what Bruce had mentioned earlier, it's coming from the field uh, within just the past couple of years, uh, it was very exciting to have all the different personality types and all the you know, different thoughts and ideas going on within the workplace. But this method that you're talking about really is making that connection between the individuals to my you know my perception of what you're sharing it's it's that connection mm-hmm. and and showing that value so you can help really and truly motivate individuals because you're understanding them better so this is leading me to the path as it relates to our listeners that this would be a great way to you know really look at our coaching process and how we interact with our teams. And it could be a, a wonderful foundation for their coaching because they're, they're really building that relationship with their team. They're understanding those unique differences that each and every one of us has, you know, our, our nice little quirky, you know, differences mm-hmm. and being appreciated for those, which is going to then – help build their engagement and their trust over time because they do feel valued because of mm-hmm. how that interaction is going. So mm-hmm. hearing and, and if my perception is right, it could be a foundation for coaching. What would yeah. be some of the other benefits that a, a leader or an organization could see from using this method mm-hmm. right now that you're in the process of um implementing and and rolling out with organizations yeah a couple things come to mind and one just off the top of my head is imagine you're visiting a foreign country and everyone is speaking a different language and you don't understand that language and you start to feel isolated and you start to feel left behind and you start to feel 
like nothing you do is ever correct because you're not understanding the language being spoken around you. And when I come in and we start coaching mm-hmm. with the Enneagram, people look and they're like, oh, finally, you're talking my language. Like, I get what you're saying. And, and finally, I feel like I can move forward in a way that is beneficial to my team or the group. And I see results very quickly because when you break down the Enneagram it's to its basic foundational principles, it's very easy to pick up and to learn and to understand. And one of the very first steps, again, is developing self-awareness. It's so easy for us as humans to fall into the comfort of patterns and routines, and we do things the same way today that we did five years ago because it worked then, so we assume it's going Mm -hmm. to work for us now. But what I found is when we are focusing on life in general, we stop focusing on those patterns, and we stop the self-awareness, not intentionally, but it just happens. We become immune to it. We assume that the same patterns are going to work for us, but when we stop and we think about what we're doing and we think about our thoughts, I mean, if you just think about all of your self-talk, when you're working with that difficult person, what are you telling yourself about that person? Is it objective or is it emotion-based? Is it, is it based on your first impression, which was negative, or did you maybe give that person a second chance? Or maybe they're not the difficult ones. Maybe you are and you just don't know it yet. And there's all of these different ways of looking at the same conflict or the same problem. But the very first step is self-awareness. And people find it liberating when finally someone can speak their lingo and, and talk about values that are important to them. Because we don't all value the same thing, and that's just the truth. So if you have a manager who is pushing, pushing, pushing in one direction, and they don't stop to see, is my team getting it? Like, am I speaking to them in a way that makes them feel empowered to come along with me on this journey and reach these goals? And sometimes that there is a strong disconnect there. And the very foundational first baby step is for each person to just stop and think about what goes on in their mind and what their brain is telling them. Because, you know, we can choose whether or not we're going to believe our self-talk. We can analyze it and decide if it's healthy or unhealthy. And when we do that, generally the first phase of change happens even before some of the Enneagram tactics are introduced. Just that first foundational step is very strong and very powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, Sheena, uh, those great insights. And actually one of the things I thought about was a, a mutual colleague of myself and Amy uh, was going through an exercise with uh, an agent in a, a call center one time trying to give that mm-hmm. agent some self-awareness. And uh, at a certain point she started to cry. And uh, Mark, our, he was, you know, didn't know what to do. He says, oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Did I offend you? Did something happen? And she said, no. She said, Mark, you're the first person who has ever understood me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and when that happens, kind of this, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah there's sad, a kind of a doctor. rewarding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he said it was sort of a Dr. Phil moment, you know, that for him, yeah. which was <laughs> – and I think realistically, for people listening to this program and who maybe have uh, perhaps some walls around them in the way that they relate and, and a few shells that they have to crack through, which most of us do, then yeah. uh, you know, knowing that it can be done, that people have done it, and that it is liberating for uh, the person mm-hmm. uh, in front of you as long as it's done the right way. And uh, you know, I was just thinking there's a couple of uh, mental 
you know, sort of tricks or mental props that we could use. Uh, when, when we as managers walk out on the floor, as we oftentimes have to do, have your mm-hmm. eyes go wide for a moment. Uh, and think about that as opening your mind. So just mm-hmm. physically have your eyes go wide and say, okay, I'm going to have my mind opened up more to the people who I'm uh, going out among. And then when you lock eyes with an employee as you're talking with them, uh, try to think about opening their minds and trying to unlock what's inside of there so that you understand it. And then when you're in discovery mode, uh, trying to find out what's going on, uh, open up a roadmap in your mind and say, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find out where we've been, where we are, and where we need to go to. So maybe those are three little mental tricks that our people can utilize and leverage the uh, insights that you've given us to, um, you know, to, mm-hmm. to actually uh, put this into practice. And, yeah. um, you know, I think we're going to have to, well, we'll have to go to uh, some questions because I know that uh, Brian has them. Uh, is there anything that you want to say on the predictive aspect of this, uh, Sheena, before we uh, toss things back over to Brian? Yes, real quick, I wanted to touch on uh, just a couple of things there as far as how we can predict human behavior because I feel like it's important because not all of us go to work every single day at our very, very best. And there are different different levels of being psychologically healthy versus unhealthy. And, and I feel like also as a manager, just being aware, if there's a, a shift in someone's behavior and suddenly they're becoming defensive or angry or you know, withdrawn or any of those changes, that's kind of a cue for you as a manager. Something's going on, and I need to just approach the person with those three tips that you just gave and just, just see if I can reach the person and help guide them back to a level of health and, and make sure that all of us are operating the best that we can. And it's kind of a huge task to ask for a manager, but even just taking baby steps in that direction can keep your team strong because I've seen if one person fractures off of a team, generally the rest of the team starts to experience stress and problems. So it's really important to make sure as a manager that you're a people person and that you're in tune with what's going on around you. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this has been great. And, uh, Amy, I think at this point we should uh, toss things over to Brian, who has some questions from our audience. Yeah, uh, real quick, I have a question. um, Kind of speaking of that team concept, how can I use this psychology stuff to convince Amy that my ideas are right all the time? <laughs> I don't think that will work because I'm only using my thoughts and processes, not yours, Brian. No. <laughs> That's a test. We're all listening. That's the wrong way to do it. I'm I'm just kidding. Um, okay. <laughs> Good <laughs> nice try. <laughs> uh, I am listening. Okay, so the first one comes in from uh, Joanna and uh, asking, "What is an example of two leadership styles who may not have naturally uh, worked together very well?" Yeah, that's a great question. I see this often. And and uh, a couple that, that come to my mind is, let's just say you have uh, an intellectual type, you know, the kind of person who wants to research the facts. They're very guarded about their personal space. They're an expert in their field. They're well known for having all the answers, but they're kind of reticent to share those answers. That person could be defined in the Enneagram as the leadership style for the type five. And when you're dealing with a type five, you know you kind of have to give them a lot of space so they can come to you at their own pace. And when you push the five, they tend to push back, okay? So that's one leadership style. But let's say the five gets put on a team 
where they have to work closely with leadership style of a type six. And the type six is also an intellectual, but they value connectivity. They need to know that you're on their team, that they can trust you, that when you say you're going to do something, that you're actually going to follow through with it. So if you have the type five who's pulling away from interactions in order to feel safe, and then you have the type six that's constantly poking and prodding and pushing to get a connection so that they feel safe, you have instant conflict. And you have two people who look at the other and say, that person is extremely difficult to work with. When in reality, neither one is actually difficult. It's just they, their needs are different. And mm-hmm. when we have teams coming together, sometimes we don't even stop to consider that the deep psychological needs of our team members are so drastically different that if we don't understand that the need, for example, of six is that security of connection. And if I violate that inadvertently, I don't mean to, but if I violate it because my leadership style tells me, no, for Sheena to feel safe, I must be independent, then I'm going to be crushing the soul of that type six without ever realizing it. And I'm going to be causing that person stress without wanting to, but just because what I need is so different from what they need. And, and that's where the Enneagram is powerful is because if I'm the independent type and I know that I'm working with the six and they need that connection, I can choose to take two steps toward them. And just by doing that with intention and knowing that I'm meeting their needs, the team will benefit. And, and you see all of these different types coming together. And if each person would just look at the others and instead of labeling, oh, that's six over there, they're just difficult. Like, really, they don't get it. Instead of doing that, if I just say, okay, I'm not going to take a giant leap because I'm not going to violate who I am, but I'm going to take two steps. And I'm going to connect with that six in a way that will make them feel safe. And by doing that, then the whole team is going to benefit. And frankly, I've seen friendships start to blossom where before you had extreme conflict and the friendships can form and the mutual respect can happen. When I just take off my sunglasses, I start speaking their language and I start seeing them in a way that is more objectively accurate rather than emotionally biased. And I'm going to be frank, most of us walk around and we're emotionally biased toward people. But when we can start to use our brain, going back to cognitive psychology, and become objective, then we can actually celebrate the gifts of others where before we thought those gifts were actually something negative with the person. Interesting. Amy, yeah. Bruce, did you want to follow up with anything? No, I think that's great. And we're, we're getting toward the end of the hours, uh, the half hour. So if there's another question, I'd love to have, uh, have uh, Sheena answer that. Okay. There's there's two, and maybe you can combine them since we're running out of time, but one comes from Mark sure. and asks, is it ever appropriate to copy leadership style of someone who is famous or very successful? And then the other one, if you could, hmm. how can I know if I'm acting out in a psychologically unhealthy way? From okay, Debbie. sure. Yeah, those can, those can be combined. So a lot of the times you see people who admire a CEO or a billionaire or a millionaire, and they think, oh, if I buy their book, and I copy their leadership strategy, life is going to be golden, and I'm going to have all this success in my life. The only problem is, and we touched on this earlier, if my basic motivating factors are different from theirs, then I'm going to have to squash who I am in order to copy who they are, 
But if who they are is actually in direct opposition of my own strength, it's just going to cause me frustration. And most of the time people will give up halfway through the book or halfway through whatever leadership process it is they're trying to copy. And I found it can affect people psychologically and and it can make them more unhealthy. And, And the way that we know if we're healthy or unhealthy is very simple. We think back to a time in our life when we were stress-free, we were on a happy cruise or a wedding day or something that was a happy moment, and for the moment, we didn't have stress. We can see our behaviors change in very specific ways compared to when we are under stress. Sometimes we withdraw under stress or we become short-tempered or we become extremely extroverted or some huge change happens, and if we can compare the two moments, we can decide, okay, I want to be back in that happy space, and I need to start responding to stimuli in a more controlled way rather than letting the stimuli control me and and causing me stress. So we can definitely self-monitor just through the simple act of self-awareness, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, just to add to that, the, uh, the insight here is that uh, not just sort of being in the present, but also uh, adding to your present in terms of mm-hmm. uh, making your mind work more uh, in in these terms, in terms of uh, reminding yourself to be open, reminding yourself uh, when you were stress-free, reminding yourself that these uh, habits can be very, very mm-hmm. good in terms of keeping yourself in a, in a healthy place and reacting yeah. in a healthy way. Yeah, and just one final thought. If you're in a meeting or a situation and you start to feel intimidated or you start to to sense your energy withdrawing, some people just breeze past that. But it's really important to stop and to use your brain and to say, why am I reacting in a negative way? And what can I do in the moment to get control back so that I don't feel intimidated or I don't feel angry? And, And the core of cognitive psychology for me is empowering people and helping people to keep control of their life because no one wants to walk around feeling like things are out of control, but sometimes we don't know what to do to get things back under control, and that's where the Enneagram is very, very helpful. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's really, really interesting and uh, great insight. And, you know, we think of a lot of uh, even TV shows where there's uh, chaos and uh, people are missing each other in terms of messaging and understanding mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And then it, it resolves at the end, but it only resolves at the end if, people communicate and if people understand each other and sort of put themselves in. And so why not do that at the beginning of the sitcom instead of at the end? (laughs) And if we think of our, our uh, daily routines at work in somewhat the same terms. Hopefully they're not quite sitcoms, although some of them probably (laughs) do look like it. (laughs) Start the day that way, right? Start the day that way. Start the day. Uh, with the uh, the sit down, with the uh, understanding, with the open mind, with the uh, wide open eyes uh, as you do it. Mm-hmm. Amy, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we uh, thank Sheena and uh, bring it back over to to Brian? No, it's just very interesting, and I think any of those that listen to today's call will be able to take a few of these nuggets that Sheena shared and be able to apply that different thought process when they are interacting with their teams. Yep. Okay. Very good. Sheena, any final thoughts before we go over to uh, to Brian? But I, I just want to thank you very much for, for all these great insights and uh, sharing your experience. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And and just remember, anyone who's listening, if you want a happy and healthy life and a successful life, don't let your reactions and your thoughts control you. Get those under control, and then you can really move forward to the success that you want. Great words to live by. Okay, thank you yeah. again. And uh, we'll yeah, no problem. Uh, okay, uh, well, with that, we'll uh, move over to Brian uh, to finish things off. Brian. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, one quick little last question. I was thinking of a fast track way to get to all this this uh, results. And Sheena, is there a way to hire you as personal counsel to follow me around every day and tell me what I'm doing wrong? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I don't know if I have time for that. That's going to be big bucks, Brian. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'll I'll have to figure that out. Well, thank you so much, Sheena, um, Amy, and Bruce for all the insight and great questions on the show today and some uh, really interesting conversation. So uh, thanks again for that. I want to thank all our listeners, of course, for joining us today and uh, remind you that uh, we have uh, close to five seasons of this show on our website at benchmarkportal.com. Just uh, scroll down to where it says Call Talk, and you can find all the archive shows there to listen to anytime that you'd like. So uh, as far as today's concern, we're going to wrap things up, and I want to thank you all for joining us. Keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Perrin signing out. Have a great day. And that's a wrap. Take care.